Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by AJC. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines and help you understand what it all means for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm Sefi Kogan. And I'm Manya Brashear-Pashman. Shortly after the election, we invited newly elected Democratic Congressman Richie Torres of New York for a conversation about what to expect from the next Congress. He wasn't available until this week, following events none of us expected. Sefi had an important, exclusive conversation, so important we didn't want to wait for our regularly scheduled broadcast. It was a raw and forceful exchange with a member of Congress. That's why we now bring you this special breaking edition of People of the Pod, Tune in tomorrow for our regularly scheduled episode, including this conversation and my conversation with Daniel Lombroso, a Jewish filmmaker who spent four years embedded with white nationalists for a documentary that tells the story behind the hateful and anti-Semitic ideology we saw on display during the Capitol siege last week. Sefi? Representative Richie Torres is a freshman member of Congress from New York's 15th Congressional District. He is proudly progressive and proudly pro-Israel, and we had hoped to have him on to talk about how important it is to make that progressive case for Israel. The riot at the Capitol changed our plans, unfortunately, and he joins us now to talk about what comes next. Representative Torres, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor for me to be here. Last Wednesday was extremely scary for all of us, but I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be in the Capitol for it. And we're also not entirely out of the woods yet with possible threats still brewing, I think. So let me start here and just ask this, how are you holding up? It has been the most draining and disorienting week of my life. If a year ago you had said that I would become a member of Congress during an infectious disease outbreak, and that I would witness a violent insurrection against the US Capitol during the electoral college vote count, and that I would then impeach Donald Trump not only once, but twice, I would have said that has the feel of a movie. I'm still in a state of shock, and I'm, I'm in a state of shock that a sitting president would instigate a violent mob to storm the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to overturn the results of a presidential election. You are among the members of Congress calling for the House to impeach President Trump again, although I suppose this is your first time impeaching him. And that's a process that looks set to move forward this week. People are also talking about a resolution censuring him or demanding he resign or using the 25th or the 14th amendments to remove him from office. What would satisfy you here? What kind of action do you think that this moment calls for? Well, the best outcome is removal. And we've presented the vice president with an ultimatum. Either you invoke the 25th Amendment or else we have no choice but to move forward with impeachment. It is clear that the vice president refuses to invoke the 25th Amendment in conjunction with a majority of the cabinet. So we have no choice but to impeach Donald Trump. You know, the violent mob he unleashed on the U.S. Capitol represents an unprecedented assault on the separation of powers between the Congress and the president. It represents an unprecedented assault on the peaceful transfer of power from one president to the next. If striking at the core of our constitutional republic is not an impeachable offense, then what is impeachment for? We have no choice. Just moments before you and I connected, the New York Times reported that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is actually pleased with the impending impeachment. Do you think with McConnell's implicit blessing, there's actually a chance that the Senate might remove President Trump from office? So there are three outcomes 
right, a House majority is required for impeachment. A Senate supermajority is required for conviction. And then once impeached and convicted, a Senate majority is required for disqualification. So the ultimate goal is not simply to remove Donald Trump from office, but to disqualify him from ever pursuing federal office again, because he has shown himself to be a lethal threat to the republic. He's a clear and present danger to the constitutional republic. And what about aside from President Trump? Are there members of Congress, either with you in the House or in the Senate, who you think crossed the line in what took place last week? There were several enablers of Donald Trump in the United States Congress and elsewhere who spent months inflaming the disaffected supporters of Donald Trump. One example is Congressman Mo Brooks went to the march and instigated an armed and angry mob to, quote, take names and kick ass. He should be held accountable. We as elected officials have to be mindful of the words we use. What does it mean to be held accountable in this instance, though? What does that look like? Expulsion. I thought the conduct of, for me, the attempt to overturn the results of an election, the attempt to instigate a violent mob to take over the U.S. Capitol, if that is not grounds for expulsion, then I honestly don't know what is. These members of Congress and Donald Trump inspired a violent mob that led to the murder of a police officer who was bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher. Right? There are images of a rioter in the Senate chamber wearing tactical gear with plastic handcuffs as though he were planning to take hostages. Right? I'm convinced that there were rioters who were intent on apprehending and assassinating members of Congress, the majority leader, the speaker, and even the vice president. There's a video of rioters screaming, the vice president should be hanged. A noose and a gallow were erected outside the Capitol. And the president was tweeting out against his own vice president in real time while the Capitol was under siege. He was pouring more gasoline on the fire of mob violence. He put not only Congress at risk, he put the life of his own vice president at risk. One of your fellow freshman members uh, also said something to the effect of when speaking to people who are concerned about the outcome of the election, uh, he said it's okay to threaten them a little, right? It's okay to, to threaten members of Congress a little. This was Madison Cawthorn from North Carolina. In addition to Representative Brooks, are there other people who you think, you know, their actions kind of rise to a certain level? There needs to be a comprehensive investigation to determine which members of Congress had a role in inciting an insurrection against the U.S. Congress, which is disqualifying, which should disqualify you from holding office. And it's worth pointing out that there was a deep strain, not only of racism, but anti-Semitism among the elements of the violent mob. If I recall correctly, one or several of the rioters had a shirt that read Camp Auschwitz. You had Confederate flags. You had symbols of racism and anti-Semitism and white supremacy pervading the violent mob that attempted to take over the Capitol. It should be cause for concern. And, you know, Trumpism is going to have more staying power than Trump. I worry that violent white nationalism, violent anti-Semitism and racism is going to be a fact of life that will continue to haunt us. You know, I think of politics as an alternative to violence. Politics is about the resolution of conflict by means other than violence. And if there is a set of the population that loses confidence in politics, that sees it as illegitimate, and Donald Trump has convinced them that it's illegitimate, then that segment is going to resort to violence. Right? The delegitimation of politics is an open invitation to violence. And I think the Jewish community in particular 
has the most at stake because history has taught us that paranoid conspiratorial politics is often a breeding ground for anti-Semitism. I don't know if we have the most at stake or among the most at stake, but certainly everything that we saw last week out of that riot was vile. But certainly the racism, the anti-Semitism, really terrible to our listeners who don't yet follow AJC.Global on Instagram. I would encourage you to check out the Instagram slider that our team put together detailing some of the anti-Semitism that the congressman talks about. I want to clarify what I meant by that. I think history tells us that conspiratorial politics is uniquely conducive to anti-Semitism. And point well taken. We've now heard of three Democratic members of Congress getting COVID, perhaps as a result of being shut up in a secured room during the riot with Republican members who refused to wear masks. What message do you think that those members send by rejecting public health requirements? Forget about the message. Those members are putting lives at risk, right? When you refuse to wear a mask, you are at higher risk of contracting or spreading the disease and spreading the disease to someone who could die from it. So you have to be mindful of the impact that your actions have on others. That's just a basic display of decency and empathy. And so I'm pleased to see that the speaker's taking action to hold members accountable for the failure to wear masks. We are going to begin the practice of finding members who enter the House floor without a mask and who put their colleagues in danger. And as someone who, who grew up in New Jersey, I mean, I live in New York now, but I grew up in New Jersey. Bonnie Watson Coleman, Representative Watson Coleman, has been a mainstay of the New Jersey congressional delegation for a long time now. She's 75 years old. She's a cancer survivor. And now she is battling COVID. And we send our best to her and to Representative Jayapal and Representative Schneider and hope that there aren't more infections to come out of that situation. Let me change gears a little bit here and, and ask you this. There are some areas where even as a proud progressive, you might have been very well suited to partner with Republicans. You know, just earlier today, I checked in on your Twitter account and I saw that you were tweeting about how your constituents need better access to broadband internet. I imagine that there are some rural Republicans who might have been really good allies for you on an infrastructure project like that. And of course, there's your widely publicized and steadfast support for Israel, which is something that a lot of Republicans really feel deeply as well. Is it going to be harder for you now, after last week, after this week, for you to work across the aisle? Without question. And I can assure you that I was as open to anyone to cooperation across the aisle and coalition building. I have a rule, you know, never take politics personally. Never view your political adversaries as personal enemies. Strive to build relationships with them. Strive to build coalitions with anyone in the service of common causes. You know, that's who I am. But if you have members of Congress, Republican members of Congress, who are attempting to derail the certification of Joe Biden as president, who are inciting a violent mob to take over the Capitol and potentially murder their own colleagues, again, an officer was bludgeoned to death. That's unsettling to me. I cannot view those people in the same light. That to me is just so profoundly indecent, such a profound betrayal of the oath of office of their country that we cannot abide it. So I am heartbroken. But then there are Republicans for whom I have enormous respect. You know, Peter Meijer from Michigan, an immense amount of integrity and courage. You know, I emerged from this experience respecting him even more deeply than I did before. I appreciate the principled stand that Liz Cheney has taken. You know, we agree on almost nothing, but she took a principled stand in favor of certifying Joe Biden as the president of the United States. You know, keep in mind, there were Democrats like me who were outraged that George W. Bush 
and Donald Trump won the presidency without winning the popular vote. We were outraged by the undemocratic nature of the outcome. But none of us ever thought of storming the Capitol and assaulting members of Congress and terrorizing their staff. We understood that the Electoral College is the law of the land. And we accept the law of the land. That when the American people have spoken and when the people have spoken, we have to accept the outcome of the election. And what those Republicans have done in instigating a violent mob and delegitimizing our democracy is beyond the pale. And I'm in tears because it's heartbreaking to see what has become of our country. I know that time is short for you and you have votes to get to and lots of other demands on your time. Let me ask you one last question. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is calling for unity now, saying that impeachment would only divide the country. I think that there are a lot of people who view that as disingenuous at this moment in particular, and I'm interested what you think about that. But also, what about three or four months from now, right? What about when we're 100 days into President Biden's tenure, you've been in office for a few months, the Democrats control both houses of Congress. Would unity be a good thing then? Is unity possible then? And what might make it more possible? I want the country to be united, but the highest value in our constitutional republic is the rule of law. We are governed by laws and we're governed by the processes prescribed by those laws. We are not governed by the passions of a mob. And the highest value here is accountability. There has to be consequences for committing sedition against the United States Congress in an attempt to derail the peaceful transfer of power. If we do not have the peaceful transfer of power, if we do not have a separation of powers, then there's nothing left that we can claim is a democracy or a republic. The best hope for unity in the long run is, is Joe Biden. You know, he is as moderating and as unifying a force in American politics as you could hope for. But I'm pessimistic about the prospects for unity, not only because of the siege, but there are forces driving the radicalization of the political right in particular. Not only social media, not only Twitter, but you know, there's Fox News, there's talk radio, there's Donald Trump, there's demagogues in Congress. There's an ecosystem, a whole ecosystem of alternate media outlets that keep inflaming the disaffected supporters of Donald Trump and keep feeding them inflammatory lies and false claims of election fraud. And as long as that reality persists, it's hard to see a path to a unified America. It's hard to see the kind of unity that took hold in the wake of 9-11. Well, there's a great deal more that I would love to talk to you about, and I hope that we can have you back on at some point in a few months when things are a little bit more back to normal, if any of us can remember what normal even feels like, to talk about some of the really important issues that I know that you're excited to get to work on for your constituents and for the American people. But for now, let me just say, Representative Torres, congratulations again on your election, on being sworn in, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us on AJC's People of the Pod. I welcome the opportunities. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Kukong Do. Our assistant producer is Atara Lakritz. And our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.